my favorite person to talk to on set is the man with the camera. And that's who I've got today, cinematographer Andrew Russo here on On the Fly Filmmaking. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to On the Fly Filmmaking. I'm Mary Lou Mandel, your host, and I am here talking with the cinematographer Andrew Russo. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Tell me about this song that you chose for us to open to. I like it. It's funky. I've never heard it. Uh, Sissy Strut. It's a, a band called The Meters. They're a New Orleans funk band from the 60s and 70s. Still play today and... Uh, one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, that's great. I'm always looking for new music, so this is definitely going to go in my my circulation. Really, yeah, check yeah. it out. They're I love it. This yeah. is like you just like cool. Like you can edit to this and like just yeah. hang out. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's that backbeat. You know, yeah. you got the dance and the backbeat. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Just feel great. I love it. Awesome. So you are here uh, chatting to chatting with us about cinematography, mm-hmm. and you have done all sorts of movies. Most recently, Jackals, which is now out in some theaters yep. and streaming online. Correct. It came out the beginning of September. So you guys definitely go check that out, Jackals. But I want to talk to you uh, about your career first before we get into that. So, Andrew, you can find on his website, awrusso.com, also on Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook. You can find him there. So let's check out your reel. I'm coming up only to show you down for. You've done a lot of stuff and a lot of varied uh, kind of projects, it looks like. And so this was your like film reel. You also have commercial projects that I saw yeah, on yeah. there as well. So you do you do everything. I try. I mean, you know, a lot of it's just what comes on in front of you. So, um, But it's nice to have that kind of diversity and just, you know, have fun with different projects. And right it's on. fun to just do different genres mm-hmm. and explore, you know, your craft in those different ways. So. All right. Well, then let's explain for the folks at home that may not know what to you is a cinematographer, director of photography. Uh, sure. So uh, it's the same thing, cinematographer, director of photography. And uh, essentially, you're the head of the camera department, um, and you uh, are also in charge of the lighting, which is composed of the grip department and the electric department. And those three departments essentially... Uh, tell the story through the camera. Uh, so you work very closely with the director, uh, try and make his or her vision come to life. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a job that is uh, a lot of advising and, and best practices. And we're setting out to do something. How can we accomplish that? And, mm-hmm. and people have visions in their head about what they want to do. And then it's about how do we execute that? And how can I get as close to what you want as possible? And bringing in your own creativity and your own ideas and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, But it's really about... Uh, what lenses you choose, um, how you move the camera, and how you light the set. Right. And the combination of all of these things serve to telling the story, mm-hmm. creating a mood, and like really portraying what it is that the director wants in the project. Precisely. Yeah. So it's really great. And so do you find, I know not all cinematographers run the camera. Are you mm-hmm. one that runs the camera sometimes or not? Yeah, I love operating. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm in there with the actors and I'm... I love being the first person to experience it. So if I have that camera and I'm operating, I mean, mm-hmm. every move that I do, it's it's really, 
I'm the first audience member to receive it. Yeah. So I love that dance. I call it really with with the with the talent with the actors. Um, it doesn't always make sense if it's two cameras or more uh, for me to operate. So sometimes I do have to take a step back and get behind the monitors and work with operators. And sometimes you're just too busy to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do love operating. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really great that um, you do operate because I think that. And I, I've never had somebody say it as they are the first audience member. Yeah. I think that's great. And, like, I know when I'm shooting things, like, sometimes I have somebody else that is filming and I'm just kind of giving direction mm-hmm. on, like, what kind of shots that I need. But when I'm the one that's filming it, it's just a totally different experience. Yeah. And, and I'm notorious for doing two takes one way and then all of a sudden just feeling something from the actors and just being like, oh, yeah. I, want, I want to get a little closer to you yeah. I want to, or I want to get a little further back or I want to do a little movement. Um, which, you know, luckily I've got amazing first ACs that, you know, deal with my they shenanigans with all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, to me, there's so much feeling in that. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm just, and I really am trying to experience it and, 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 and want to do that move at the right time, and, right. you know, and cause I'm feeling it, you know? Right. And then so much of how you frame it, how you film it changes the feeling of the scene like so I I recently saw Mother Mm -hmm. and it's like there's so much in just the way that the film is composed and how it stays for most of the movie that really creates a feeling yeah and they were I I, I haven't seen the movie but I read an article about it they were very careful in uh, limiting the palette showing it from Jennifer Lawrence's point of view Um, I I believe uh, Maddie Libatik went so far as to I think they shot the movie before they shot the movie. I mean, literally yeah. moved the camera with actors and did like a huge long rehearsal process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing to be able to do something like that because, like that, to me, prep is everything. Yeah. And when you're able to do that degree of prep, like you just, it's all execution at that point. So, mm-hmm. and it's fun, happy ideas and accidents and whatever comes along with all that preparation you've done. Um, so anyway, you know, very interesting. Uh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, definitely. I definitely recommend that to anybody for just filmmaking in general. It's great storytelling. But when you're watching it and you're thinking about cinematography, just consider like the, the choices that they made and how that told the story. And, and I think that that's probably something that you experience all the time. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, every decision you make is it really ha- should be in service to the story. Yes. Um, whether it be the lighting, the camera, how it moves. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, huge shots that call attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, one of the best compliments you can get is that they, it looked amazing, but I I didn't think about it. it. I just watched. I was engrossed in the movie, you know. You know, and and that was something that someone said to me on Jackals, and yes. I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want people to be so into the story that. That's all they're thinking about, and the characters and what they're going through. It's like that's I've done my job if that's if that's what I can do. Right, and then that, and that, it looks good. <laughs> yes, and it did. It did look very good. Jackals, I thought was really great. And I guess what I was thinking about most of the time is I have trouble with low light anything because usually I'm just like a crew of one. It's right. just me, so I'm like ah, move the light. Okay, hold on, let me be right back. But it's you know like seeing that and knowing like I know the struggles I have with doing that. But that movie was mostly dark yeah they're in a cabin they're in the forest (laughs) yeah the power gets cut off about you know 20 minutes into the Mm -hmm. movie so for the rest of the film all you all we had was a fireplace and lanterns that the family had had uh previous that came out of the closet and then uh moonlight Mm -hmm. and and, uh i the uh bad guys the jackals turn on the car lights as well to bring an ominous presence to them Mm -hmm. um and that was it and trying to when you're shooting a movie, you're not you're not shooting in sequence for the most part. So trying to remember where lanterns were from the previous scene. I mean, I, we had to literally. I had a page by page analysis of every scene mm-hmm. inside and where the lanterns had gone to, so that it made sense that they you know dance around the way they do. So we had to leave one somewhere to then know that it needed to be picked up. And I think you watch the movie and you don't even like no one even realize it. But for my own sanity, I knew that I needed to get this lantern here for this next scene so that it could light my main act and my lead actress and yada yeah. yada yada. So uh, very, it was very difficult. Um, and we were using at the time LEDs are not were not as big as they are today in the uh, film world. They, you know, they were still very accessible. When were you filming this? Uh, this was the uh, end of 2015. Okay. So I, I just mean like sky panels weren't around, light panels, mm-hmm. light mats weren't around. You know, um, 
people were definitely using light ribbon to like light underneath things, just a really thin ribbon. And that's what we use. We, we, uh, I had a guy in, in Glendale, this Armenian man who's been doing electronics for years, who's just a saint. Um, I, I like, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm going to build these lanterns. Cause I basically had to build seven lanterns that would flicker a little bit that had, LEDs in there on battery packs mm-hmm. and I knew I had, you had to score the bottom of them you had to put the battery pack in there I had to gel the light so it was the right color it was crazy you know so uh and this man I like maybe a week out I, I visited he, I, I visited he, I got his number from one of the electronic places I was trying to figure out how to build these things at and he, I'm like he's like yeah I, I'll have him to you in like three weeks and I'm like look man I started moving a wig is there anything you can do and he's like I'll take care of you. And I'm like, and he did, and they were amazing, and and you know, he got a credit in the movie. I was nice. like, come to the set, you know. He was he was such a sweetheart. So, yeah, anyway. those are those are solutions on the fly. Because I was going to ask you, like, <laughs> how did you keep these lanterns going the whole time? Because you crafted y- yeah. these electronic <laughs> ones, which is brilliant. Yeah. It's a brilliant solution because I just can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, and and just making you know my crew, my you know. Chelsea, my my poor best boy electric, it, her job was just to make sure there was a fresh battery in those every like ten minutes. Yeah. Uh which I, you know, went at the screen saw her and, you know, thanked her again profusely. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah, for for being battery babe. Oh, she's such a battery babe. She's yeah. she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. She's awesome. So Awesome. Yeah. All right, well then let's check out the trailer for Jackals and uh, you can see what we were talking about. stressful but um it's fun making them you know but yeah. watching it it is very stressful my yeah. wife like she just you know she went to the premiere and then some friends and i got together and she's like i don't want to go again <laughs> that's it yeah it's a one-time deal like you have to you don't have a choice she's like all right well i'm, clo- I'm gonna cover my eyes all the time because i know what's yeah. gonna happen anyway. oh but it was it was good i really enjoyed it and like i i watch movies thinking about what's behind the scenes especially when it's a scary movie mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I went to see it with a friend of mine, and she was freaking out. She's an actress, and I was like, "Listen, you you've been on sets. You know, there's like a hundred people standing around Doesn't this matter. thing that's happening. So it's okay." And she's <laughs> like, "All right, all right. It kind of helps. It kind of helps. Still, still got a little scared, but you know, eh. that's why we go to see them too. Yeah, it is part, part of, of the it. fun. Yeah, absolutely. it is part of the fun. But I, I, I can't help but overanalyze everything. So like even here." We're watching this, like, I saw lanterns, Mm -hmm. I saw the car lights, even torches, Mm -hmm. sometimes. Yep, yep, there was torches in there. Yeah, and that's, those are, those are the things that you have to work with, but Mm -hmm. on set, you're actually dealing with more than that, you're, you're faking it with other lights. Yeah, definitely, um, and when you're shooting in a practical location like we were, you know, cheating the fireplace was just a challenge, I mean, it was a, because it was not a, it wasn't a big space to be shooting in the first place, and then we've got, you know, basically a, um, a light rig, which just composed, it was just, it was like a, a couple of, I think it was like three or four 1Ks on a magic gadget, which is a dimmer, which basically just changed 
changes the level mm-hmm. of light. So it feels like fire on the walls, but fire would never give you that much light. Yeah. Well, not, I mean, depending on what camera you shot. Right. Um, and that thing just had to keep, it was like on one side of the fireplace, and then we'd have to go on the other side. It was just like constantly going back and forth, and we could kind of never shoot that way because I needed that thing to be there yeah. or else it all fell apart. So, um, uh, you know, in the lanterns, you know, my I have a, a gaffer uh, that I use all the time. He couldn't do this one. His name's Kevin Skaggs. He built these things called light cubes, which are essentially uh, – it's a light bulb or, or, or can be an array of three or six with muslin wrapped around it. Beautiful soft sources, you know, very economical tungsten, which, mm-hmm. you know, is going the way of the dodo, but, you know, just regular light bulbs, yeah. Edison bulbs, um, but beautiful, like, light and mm-hmm. perfect for this because I could just put it on one person and then that was it. I mean, you know, a lot of the decisions you make with lighting, you know, you kind of know you want to shoot with contrast. You kind of have an idea of where you want the light in, in relationship to the camera, in relationship to the place someone's looking but a lot of it is to where do you want your shadow to go mm-hmm. where do you want to project that light because that light doesn't stop at someone's face it goes keeps going right yeah. so you have to have an understanding of not only what where the light is and what it's doing but where is it gonna keep playing in your world mm-hmm. and how do you avoid it so when you do a movie like this that's you know a lot very contrasty and low light and 80 percent of the frame is dark um you have to be really careful to thread the needle yeah um yeah because then you're you're not even just worried about the light and it, what it's projecting on the screen, but if it's like accidentally on your crew and like there's a shadow that's not supposed to be there. Absolutely, oh that too. I mean, there's all kinds of kind of you know things and limitations. You know, lighting and camera when you're going for something like this, um, they're always in contrast with each other. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, be, uh, a competition, I mean, with each other, because what's good for camera, like doing crazy fun moves all around the room. You know, it's not always good for lighting. You know, what's good for lighting, just sitting there and looking one way and having that perfect light coming Mm -hmm. from one side, like, you know, Mad Men or something like that, um, you know, is is good for light. So how do you – how do these balance? How do you – what decision do you make? Who wins the the fight, so to speak? You know, can they work in harmony? Um, It's a a real – that's the real job, I think, of a cinematographer is how do you – and, and and how, how do you toe the line between these two mm-hmm. things? Which is such a contrast from when we were talking to the cinematographer of Transparent. They mm-hmm. have a 360 set. Exactly. And he just follows them around. It's yep. like lit realistically in all directions yep. and he just goes. And and, and there, I love that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just – it really comes from what what's the story? What's important? What is the director – what's the most important thing for the director? You know, if the director wants to shoot three cameras all at the same time – then you just find a way to light it, and camera kind of trumps lighting. If the director said, no, this is single camera, like, I want these very precise moves, and we're going to do three takes or six takes before we get a good one, mm-hmm. um, then then you do that. So, you you know, you have to be adaptive as a cinematographer. Yes. That's the biggest thing. Um, and don't make a production something it's not. Mm-hmm. Don't make a script something it's not. Don't make a production something it's not. Um, because, yeah, elaborate on that. Well, like, for instance, if you don't have the money to make a $10 million movie, then don't try and make a $10 million movie. You know, like, know your limitations. So, like, for instance, with Jackals, um, it was a very aggressive shoot schedule. Right, you said it was 15 days? 15 days for principal photography, and then we did two days of pickups. And the two days of pickups was all content that was not scripted originally. There were all scenes that were added to the movie later. Um, uh, So, I forgot what we were just talking about. It was the... Uh, not staying within your limitations. Oh, staying within your limitations. Thank you. So, um, you know, one thing I knew I would probably have to get rid of right off the bat was, was backlight. I mean, I knew that it was just going to take too much time to move what's called a menace arm, which is essentially just a big uh, piece of speed rail that mm-hmm. has a, that has a it's on a, some kind of stand, and then you hang a light off the side and you hang it so you don't have to see the stand, but you put the light right behind someone mm-hmm. to light to backlight them. And I knew that wasn't going to be a possibility just because it was going to take too much time up yeah. to, sl- to flip this thing for every scene. And, you know, you don't want to do things like block shoot. Um, sometimes it makes sense. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. And block shooting just means that you're going to face one direction for multiple scenes and then f- turn around and then do those multiple scenes again. It's not very good for actors. I don't really – I'm not yeah. a big proponent of it. Um, I ask the question, but if it's an emotional scene or if there's anything that requires – 
real, real, you know. Yeah, they need to stay connected. Exactly. As much as possible, you want to help them out because it's yeah. all collaborative. You want everybody be, to be able to do the best job possible. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I mean, that to me is what the job is also is yeah. just creating an environment where you let these people work, mm-hmm. which it can be tricky in a movie like this because you are so specific with where your light is. Um, but, you know, I was working with total pros. Yeah. And everyone was amazing on the set. So it was never an issue. And if anything, people, the, you know, these specific group of actors would come up to you and be like, okay, where do you need me? Where do I need to be? Okay, how can I, how can I do this for you? It was great. It was really yeah. nice to, to have a collaboration with them and they, them to be amazing. So. Yeah, those are always the best kind of sets to be on a, a collaborative things like that where everybody is trying to do what they can to make it easier for everyone else. Yeah. And at the end of the day, everyone had a good experience from this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people enjoyed making it, even though it was extremely difficult in so many regards. Yeah. Um, but it was a good set. It was a good group of people. Yeah. What were know? some of the difficulties that you guys came across? Um, well, you know, we were shooting in December, and it got almost, I think it got close to below freezing. Where so were what, you guys at? We were only up in Thousand Oaks. Oh. So, and that's what was, yeah, hmm. you, you go, oh, it shouldn't freeze up there. No. It got so cold up there um, that... It, it like we had to do a whole i think the the last week of the movie Stephen Dorff came on for the last week of the movie and when he runs outside and he's chasing after this this fox girl mm-hmm. uh who's part of the jackals uh he's in a t-shirt and yeah. it was like 32 degree 35 so degrees cold. but he was such a pro and mm-hmm. was in it just to have to really be the character and you know when i, I remember reading the script and i liked the character of Jimmy but he just brought so much to it i mean he grounded yeah. He just grounded that character in such an amazing way. Um, and of course, he didn't feel the cold. He's a vampire. Yeah. Well, yeah, that helped. He was, I was very, he was happy. He was laughing. We were having a good oh, time. Great. He, he got strung up by, yeah. you know, uh, a rope and got his stomach slashed. Sorry, I, I, yeah. that's probably a spoiler alert spoiler. right there. Um, but he was a total sport. I mean, yeah. he was great. Yeah, he was great to work with. So. Good. Oh, that's great. And I, I was really happy to see him in a movie again. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's 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 doing great. He was a, yeah, super fun. So what uh what kind of cameras did you use for this? Uh we shot on at the time we shot on two uh Arri Alexas that were 2K Alexas. Um and the you know, I think the the Amira had come out and the Mini had just come out, mm-hmm. but really because our budget we couldn't afford that those the the 4K cameras at mm-hmm. the time. They were just too in demand and too expensive and um, actually, one of the nice things about it, I, I was like, well, I, I was happy about it at first because, um, this was before YouTube and um, Hulu and Netflix require a 4K. Mm-hmm. Now that they require 4K, I was like, oh, I gotta shoot 4K, right? Um, which is understandable. Um, but uh, it brought the, the the cost down on the camera, so we could afford it more. Mm-hmm. So honestly, like one of the tips that I would give to filmmakers out there is like, unless you need 4K or yeah. something bigger. Go find an uh, Arri Alexa Classic 2K. This was the industry standard yes. for a, a, a good amount of time. Gardens of the Galaxy, The Revenant. I mean, all mm-hmm. these movies were shot on this 2K beautiful camera. Yeah, and it all looks great. So sometimes I, I, I go back and forth with the 4K mm-hmm. debate because of budgetary things where everyone's like, I must have 4K. But you you don't have to have it. No. You only have to have it if you have to have it, if you have the budget for de- it. And if it's a deliverable. I mean, if yes. it's a deliverable, then, then you're, yes. you have to. Yeah. Um, which I don't know what your deliverable is, but yes, it's, it's if it's if YouTube that's the thing, like level like very, you watch it on a cell phone, so right, it's not right. a big well, deal. You say that, but then my first, so I did uh, did a, um, a show called Foursome, which was is a YouTube Red show. Mm-hmm. Did the first season, we did that 2K, no problem. The second season came along, and they're like, no, you have to shoot 4K, and I was like, well, can we shoot? Uh, we can just do Airy Mini, which is not – it's not a true 4K. It's a UHD 4K. Mm-hmm. And they're like, let me check. And I'm like, are you guys serious? I can't shoot on the best camera, in my opinion, out there. To, and, and, and I'm yeah. not alone because of this. Excuse me. Uh, luckily, they were like, no, it's fine. You can do that. But mm-hmm. that was a thing from yeah. one season to the next. It just – the switch just turned on us. And yeah. we had to shoot with, you know – more robust, expensive cameras, but yeah. I, I get it. Every, those places are protecting for the future, mm-hmm. so they which don't, makes sense. Which makes sense. But also, sometimes I feel it's a little more buzzwordy. It, it's a little it like we shot it in 4K. Isn't that great? Yeah. It, it looks wonderful. You can scale it. You can do all sorts of stuff with it. And if you're doing effects work, mm-hmm. certainly those cameras are great. I have a friend who uh, does a lot of Katy Perry music videos, mm-hmm. and he shoots with a helium because. It's an 8K camera, mm-hmm. and the effects guys 
want that desperately. Yeah. Uh, they want all that detail in in the in the pixels and, mm-hmm. and to so get, get in there. comps and better green yeah. screens and, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's yeah. just about... There's reasons for it. There's definitely reasons for they're it. They're tools. Mm-hmm. And, and just like anything, you just want to use the right tool for the right job, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, but then I, I like what you're saying about your limitations and working within your limitations. So if you're an indie filmmaker, you're not doing any effects. Correct. You're just trying to get the best camera you can afford. Don't You don't have to necessarily push for that. Right. You don't necessarily have to. If you can, awesome. You can buy a... I think you can buy a 2K Alexa for like $10,000, yeah. which is insane considering it was like... Probably like court. It was like one hundred and twenty-five thousand yeah. dollars a couple of years ago. And this is the tool that major, major movies were made on. Absolutely, yeah, beautiful you, movies. Yeah, it's, it's accessible. It's very accessible. Yeah. And, I mean, and I think that's the that's the whole reason why indie filmmaking has gotten uh, the budgets have gone down, but it's also not as expensive to make them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a big part of that culture now. Yeah, uh, is what digital film kind of did for people. So. All right. Yeah. So tell me about some of the, the other projects that you've worked on. Like, so what we saw on your mm-hmm. reel, I see like some light and bright stuff. Right. That's really, you know, a totally different feel than what Jackals is. Um, well, I like to, you like to think you can be a chameleon mm-hmm. and you, you, you read a story and you, you, you feel a certain way about it. So, um, you know, I, I've done a couple movies for Lifetime. And so Jackals, we, I was just like, let the fill go. And, and there is a lot of detail. It was hard, hard to see on that monitor, mm-hmm. but, um, there is a, there is still some detail in the blacks uh, in that, but for a movie like I did called Murder in Mexico, um, it was it was a lifetime movie. So and this was a couple years back, um, and I knew I had to put more light in the fill. I just I just did. It's funny. It actually took more time to do that because I had to protect so much more for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know whether or not you're doing a movie with uh, you're doing on one side of the spectrum, which is like a movie called uh, a TV show called Foursome, which is a, a uh, high school comedy mm-hmm. to like uh, Gone Are the Days, which is a western that I have coming out uh, through Lionsgate at the beginning of the year, or Jackals. You're, you're, you're. You st- I mean, like my my thought process is the same. It's like you always are going to have a key of fill and a, and a backlight, whether it's there or not. The, the concept is always going to be there mm-hmm. for your talent, right? And then the way I light or like to think about my lighting is as much as it's important to think about this, you got to, I think about the background first. So mm-hmm. how do I want the world to feel? And then you kind of light forward. Mm-hmm. So what texture do I want to have in the background? What practicals do I want to see? So you talk, you know, at length with your production designer about, okay, I, if, you know, if possible, can I get a lamp here, a lamp here, a lamp here, knowing the blocking? Um, uh, just so you have some source to kind of come from. If you're doing that, it just, right. dep- it just depends on what you're doing. Um, but yeah, it's it's one light at a time for mm-hmm. me. I think about it one light at a time. I, I, you know, sometimes, and it doesn't happen often, but you try and get all the lights set up, and then it's just, okay, turn that one on. What's that doing? Great. Turn the next one on. Now, you don't have that time always, mm-hmm. and, and because you, the, the more you do this, the more you don't have to do that. But when you're first doing this, it's great to understand what you're getting from every light to understand what it's doing to then make corrections as need be. Right. And that's something that, that folks that are making their own projects at home, they're like very basic level. You just want to try to shoot something. Yeah. You, you point a camera at a room and mess with the lights and see what's coming from where. Absolutely. Yeah. No, because- it's very practical for any level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think when you start, when lighting really starts to click, it's when you start really understanding uh, how light interacts with the face with the quality of it the, the the direction of it the angle uh the quantity you know and getting all these levels in a good place mm-hmm. um anyway yeah I, I remember like old school trying to like light a little scene for something and like my actor standing there i'm like okay i'm gonna hold this <laughs> lamp at you it's just like the, the lamp that's in the bedroom just like gonna tilt it i'm like ah it's a little weird but we're gonna go with it we've all been there yeah we've, i need more light on you just tilt the lamp okay that's more that's it's fine right yeah it'll work. i can see you yeah okay it, it'll, and it'll do action <laughs> go you're go. wonderful you're yeah. beautiful whenever you're ready <laughs> thank you and I'm like holding the camera and the light and like just just craziness but that's how you learn you that's go you learn. and try things yeah yeah so uh i would love to know about how you've learned and how you got started on this path sure um so uh i actually didn't pick up a camera uh, any kind of video camera or film camera uh, that wasn't still until I went to USC. Mm-hmm. Um, but and before that, I, I, in high school, uh, you know, I took a lot of black and white photography, uh, learned how to develop my own film and my own prints on, an, you know, in larger. Um, and in college, I st- still took pictures, but I wasn't. 
I was doing other things, figuring out my life, and you know. Uh, and then I came to California, and within about a year and a half or two years, I got into USC. Um, thinking I wanted to be a writer or director, mm-hmm. and those are probably two of the worst jobs I could think to have for me. Yeah, um, and why is that? Writing's tough, you know, because it's not about how good of a writer you are; it's how good of a rewriter you are. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I've written problems. How do I solve them? How do I get? How do I get anyone to read my script? Is a is a whole other thing. Yeah. How do I get honest notes from people? Directing, oh my goodness, getting good performances telling a good story yeah very difficult for someone like you know in post making it work and figuring out what the problems are Mm -hmm. just wasn't my my mindset you know um moving the camera uh choosing the lens lighting it's it's just very natural it felt right it does which is something that i tell people all the time when they're like i want to get into filmmaking and i was like well explore all of your options which is what we try to do on this show and then highlight all the different positions because you went in thinking you wanted to be a writer director and then realized oh wait no no thank you it's just totally not for me but found a place that was right for you and i love where i'm yeah i love being a cinematographer it's perfect for me yeah how was that discovery Um, come about well i at at USC, I, I did really kind of gravitate toward the camera, um, and my projects didn't look so bad, you know, the first semester, the second semester, and uh, I learned on film, which was kind of nice, uh, black and white film, mm-hmm. uh, which was a reversal stock, which they, I don't think they make anymore. Yeah, do they even do that anymore? You know what, Kodak schools? is bringing back some, oh, Okay. Rev- I think it's a color stock they're bringing back, it wasn't the black and white, I think they're still doing some black and white, schools do not do that, though. right? I mean, for the most part, even USC It's got to be too expensive doesn't do they film don't anymore. have to, just learn it, on digital. It's, it's, it's not only is it, it's, it's the money, but it's also just impractical. I mean, mm-hmm. we live in a world where, in my opinion, digital cameras are doing things that replicate film Mm -hmm. very well um is it film no you know will it ever be film it will probably get closer and closer and closer but there is something organic about film that is very tangible to me and i do have a reaction to uh but i'm in the you know very small percentage of people that probably even care about that right um so anyway uh you know at USC, uh, got good with camera, got good at lighting. I, rem- I remember the shoot where lighting clicked for me, uh-huh. like it was yesterday, and it was like it was like an epiphany. Like it was like bells were ringing and birds were flying in slow motion. It just I felt like, oh, I get it. Like I understand when I when I put a light here or here, it's totally different. Yeah, and I and you know it, it just like it was it was a, it was an epiphany that it made me realize how much I loved this mm-hmm. more than anything. And, and being a cinematographer. And, you know, USC was a great training ground because I, I wouldn't have been able to get that experience had I not just had a camera in my hand for three years. It's a three-year program. Yeah. And you try and get better at what you do. And uh, my in my third year, I shot a thesis film that I was lucky enough to win an ASC award f- uh, for, the Heritage Award, it's called. Uh, and, um, you know, that was a big moment for me to go to this place where you see all these people that you just respect and and they're just they're really wonderful people it felt like a a community that i'd like to be a part of one day and it still is a major goal for me Uh, being in the ac is not a major goal for me doing work that i'm proud of that you know people acknowledge as being good i mean that's nice i'm the toughest critic on me and i will always be um but it's it would be it's nice when your fellow uh cinematographers uh Mm -hmm you know, want to invite you into their club. You yeah. Know? And it's it's funny because cinematographers are the only people that know what I go through on a daily basis. And we do, I feel like I need to have a support group for us. Right, you, you find your tribe. Exactly. And th- those are the people that get what you do. Exactly. And, and it's it, fun to talk about that because people on set don't know. I mean, you know, yeah. directors don't really know what we mm-hmm. go through, you know, costume designers. I mean, everyone has their own thing that they go yeah. through. And it's nice to have that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, everybody has their own little, like, pocket of... Of drama, or not necessarily drama, but like triumphs and failures, yeah. and, and like things that they have to go through. And frustrations, yeah. and, and happy places. Yeah. Absol- absolutely, it's like the simplest thing. Like it might look super simple, but like to you and other cinematographers, it'd be like, oh my gosh, did you see that this thing <laughs> happened? And you know, it's really great. So, uh, speaking of, of things that you are work that you're proud of, mm-hmm. what are some projects that that meet that for you? Um, well, I would say that um, the ambassador's wife was something I was really proud of, and that was what I won an ASC award for. Mm-hmm. And what um, was the what was it about that? Um, you know, I think it was the way we told the story. It was mm-hmm. the lighting. Excuse me. It was uh, 
it, it was the characters. I mean, I, I, I watch that and I feel like I'm in, I feel like I'm connecting to the characters and I, you know, I, 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 I want to, I, I want to empathize with them and I yeah. want to, you know, I, I and I want to, I want to go for the ride with them. I felt like we did a good job on that mm-hmm. one. Um, Gone are the Days is a Western I have coming out that I, I, I just think that as far as my contribution as a cinematographer is probably something I'm the most proud of because of a consistency and if you know i probably on average will like 85 percent of the work i do in a movie Mm -hmm. and that was closer to like 92 percent oh it's high then yeah and that 15 percent i like want to like you know do harry carry and like you know spill my guts because i'm like oh i hate that um and i you know most people hopefully don't see it but um but jackals is certainly up there and uh i have a movie coming out Hopefully at the beginning of the year, uh, called Nightmare Cinema, which was an anthology, a horror anthology mm-hmm. with, with the legend Mick Garris yeah. uh, and Joe Dante, and uh, those were so fun to make. Yeah, and that uh, sounds so exciting. Yeah. And I got to work with Mickey Rourke, which was interesting. Uh, he's a character. Yeah. Um, and literally plays a character that is just so scary. Oh, my God. I know. It's like, he, he, it's like he, the first time you see him on the screen, you're just like, oh, my God. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah. You know? And, and did, he just has such a presence about him. Did you have that experience from looking, like, off camera and then onto camera, like, in the lens, being like, oh, my gosh, who is this creeper? <laughs> no, I mean, he came in. It was a big t- – he was a very nice guy. And, mm-hmm. and, he, you know, you always – you know, it's Hollywood, so you hear stories. Um, but he was per- he was great to work with and uh, – he didn't come in looking like that. He came in looking like a big teddy bear, and then yeah. once he transformed into this outfit and became this thing, yeah, it was it was like it was it was almost like schizophrenic. It was like scary to see this thing lurking and then come out of him. Yeah. So. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's gonna be fun. It'll be fun. It'll uh, be fun. Great. So then, uh, as far as like doing stuff on the fly, yeah. So uh, it sounds like a lot of your project, like Jackals, was only fifteen days of principal mm-hmm. photography, and I think you've mentioned like a, a bunch of the other ones were all on the fly. Yeah. What are some tips and tricks that you have for people? Um, you know, make your day. That's a good. That's a good tip. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you mean by that? Well, I mean uh, you set out to shoot a scene, you know, and and there's always going to probably be more shots than you need. Uh, if you can get them all and more, great. If the schedule is um, aggressive, then know what you need. And then, you know, just break, break out the red pen. As a DP, don't be the one to break out the red pen unless you have to. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really a conversation you need to have with your director to be like, what do we, what do we absolutely feel like we need? You know, what can we maybe you know, pick up later or do, what do we not have to get? So just make, making your day is important on a, on a budget, on an independent movie that doesn't have a lot of days. Mm-hmm. So work quickly. Yes. So don't be an idiot. No, don't make a production something it's not. Right. You know, know that you have to do this in 15 days. In Jackals, don't add a bunch of backlights because you're going to bone yourself mm-hmm. out and you're not going to make your days. Yeah. Um, prep. Uh, just because a movie doesn't have money doesn't mean you shouldn't you should be less involved in a prep. Mm-hmm. If anything, you should do more prep than if you have less money. And that's tough because um a lot of indie films will say, well, we can pay you for two weeks. And, you know, my my response to that is, thank you, I'm gonna work for four. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I don't know how to do a project like that with only two weeks of prep. Yeah. So in that movie, um Kevin uh and I, the director uh, we sat down for a month. We watched movies. We went to the location four or five times. We took pictures of the locations. We brought the mask there. We we got one day where we could do a test. And it was only for like a couple hours. And we just squeezed as much as we could into that test to make sure it was all going to work. So prepare, prepare, prepare. Yes. And I can't emphasize that enough. And the truth is prep is so important because – it's like if you're in a band, you're going to rehearse before you get on stage together. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're uh, if you play football, you're going to run a scrimmage and practice. You know, and do routes and yeah. get on the same page with your with whoever you know you're mm-hmm. playing with. So it's to me, it's like it only makes you better the yeah. more you prepare. You know, as I'm sure you know, yeah, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt to prepare more than you think you should. You can't over prepare. It's not. It's yeah. not even possible. Mm-hmm. I, you brought up mother before, and they shot the movie before they shot the movie. Like, yeah. that's preparation. David Fincher did the same thing on Panic Room. 
You know, he basically shot the movie. It worked for him. Mm-hmm. Great. Now we can't all do that because we don't have the money to do that degree of preparation. Um, Birdman was the same way. But, you know, it, it the idea is the same, is read the script. You don't read it once or twice or three times. You read it seven or eight times. Mm-hmm. You, you know your scenes. You, you, you know, you, every morning you come to set and you're going to get sides, right? And th- when I found that, is that if I see the scene number and I know my shots without even looking at the scene – I feel like I'm I'm half prepared for the day, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's always going to change, and you're going to get into a scene, and we thought about it, it was going to be this, the blocking, and now, no, I want, you know, I'm going to go sit over there instead, so you yeah. need to reconceive everything you thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. but it 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 makes you a better filmmaker when you prepare because you can think more off the cuff, you can let that magic happen, right? Because you you have a, such a strong foundation, right? It's like you you prepare so you can easily Execute. go off of it. Absolutely, it's so and then like, it's all execution at that mm-hmm. point. There's no like, oh, uh, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? If you have a really good idea of what you're already doing, yeah. it's just execution, and that makes you a better filmmaker. And then it opens up your brain power for problem solving because there's always going to be problems. Always. But if you've already prepared and you have, like you said, a good foundation. Then when the curveball gets thrown at you, you're not already just worrying about, like, how are we going to do this basic thing? It's like, okay, now let's focus. How are we going to fix that? Great. Done. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah, you can troubleshoot way faster mm-hmm. um, and, and be more inspired. I mean, that's the other side of it. You really can find more inspiration uh, if you have a good foundation. Right. And then you're not wasting time on the basic thing. You can do, like, what you said where you're like, okay, we did it two ways the way that we initially thought. Now let's explore. Now let's try something different. Yeah. Let's get in there. Yeah. It's like we had this idea – Man, this idea is pretty great. Like, what if we did this instead? Yeah, yeah, I like that. But you might not have got to this other great idea had the, the no. foundation not you been set. Have. No, you wouldn't have. Yeah. You wouldn't have. And I, and I think the best filmmakers in the world get to that moment we're talking about mm-hmm. fast. Yes. So like Mick Garris and Joe Dante, that was my experience with both of them. Is They, they had a really clear idea what they wanted. We, we, didn't have, we, we did have a decent prep period. I, I had more prep with Mick than I did with Joe. But, you know, th- there was that concept of like... I know I know how this is going to work out. What if we did this instead? And then building a block on that and be like, that's cool. Like, yeah. if we do this canted, what if we do it on a really long, a really wide lens and I get right in there with the Steadicam? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I love that. And then we do it. And then you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm so happy we did that. Yeah. That's, and, and then you, you – it's these happy discoveries yeah. that everyone on set and all the different departments can have those. Absolutely. It's with- scarier. Because I think you're putting yourself out there more sometimes, mm-hmm. and you do. Sometimes you're like, "Did I go too far?" Right. But but again, if you if you've done the prep work, mm-hmm. you, that goes away a little more. Yeah. And so so you mentioned the Steadicam there. Do you you operate Steadicam? I don't. No. No. You have no. somebody who does I've got, that for I've you. I've got a couple of great Steadicam guys that I love. Yeah. What? Uh, in this case, uh, Daniel Spitz was my um, my B cam operator and my Steadicam operator. But David Baldwin, I went to. USC with and Justin Brown's a guy that I know from University of Wisconsin Madison. We met out here, but we're both Badgers at heart. Yeah, <laughs> um, those guys are great. Yeah, um, and I've, you know, and and you just the more you're in this world because you work with great people, those great people work a lot. So yes. you don't always get you know your first couple of choices, mm-hmm. um, but you know you're able to. You know, you, you you there's a there's a nice group of people that are great, and it, once you're in those pockets, I think you you mm-hmm. work a lot more. So yeah, the, like I've I've tried a Steadicam vest, and you know they're it, heavy. It's no joke. No, it's no joke. And then uh, I've used a. Like the handheld gimbals, like a Movi or a Ronin. Sure, sure. And that's no joke. So like on my little projects, I use like an Osmo. That's like a handheld gimbal. And it's like for what I need, it's my perfect steady cam. Have you ever tried an easy rig? No, what's that? An easy rig is essentially a – it's a vest that goes on you and you wear the majority of the weight on your hips like mm-hmm. you should, like a hiking pack. Uh-huh. And then out of it, it's oh, basically right. a – it's like a mm-hmm. scorpion tail, but it's a piece of metal. And then there's a, a line that you connect the camera onto mm-hmm. and you can do it, it all day. I mean it's yeah. – they're great. I mean you won't go home with a sore back. You'll go home with tired legs. Right. Um, but like – so for instance, for foursome, uh, we, there wasn't a lot of cutting. So the guy, the the Eliane Fenton uh, and Daniel uh, both had cameras on there on them for six or seven hours a day. So yeah. Easy Rigs was like great. No one, no one has to feel like they have to complain. Mm-hmm. They can keep rolling like the director wants them to to stay in the scene. Yeah. Um. And you know, it it still has a handheld feel. Yeah. And I, I saw on your uh, reel there was like an aerial shot. Mm-hmm. We're using that. Is that like from a helicopter? Is that a drone? Oh, There's something like over shot? a bridge. 
Oh, that was actually just shooting from a bridge yeah. onto another bridge. But nice. um, yeah, we drones. I you know they're they're great, and I think what's nice is it's opened up aerial photography to lower budgets because it used mm-hmm. to be you'd have to get a helicopter yeah. that had a gimbal on it that you put your camera onto or you're shooting off the side of the helicopter which yes. is not safe um and drones are they're great uh you know the the issue with drone they all present their own challenges it's totally. like any tool um you just want to make sure you're using the right tool for the job and i think more than ever and it's going to keep getting better the the drones the the video footage was always my biggest complaint mm-hmm. unless i got an octocopter where i could put a real know, camera. Yeah, a, a Mini on, mm-hmm. a Alexa Mini on, or, you know, a Red or whatever. Um, you just couldn't fly those things. And you can't get that thing inside somewhere. So, like, for um, for uh, for Nightmare Cinema, the concept is uh, all these people that are in these five little anthologies, they go to a movie theater, a haunted movie theater, at, which is the Rialto Theater in Pasadena, which is amazing. Um and they kind of see their life before them on the big screen. What? Yeah, I can't wait for this movie. It yeah, sounds yeah. like right it's up my cool. alley. No, it's really cool. And, and Mick, Mickey Rourke plays the projectionist in it. So what? he's like the conduit uh, for the whole. That's great. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and we had, you know, Mick uh, was directing those. and Mick Garris was directing those. And he wanted to do a drone shot. And, you know, I'm sitting there trying to figure out which drone, which drone, which drone. And, you know, we settled on the AS7. But because we were inside, you couldn't, it didn't, GPS wouldn't work. So they were yeah. flying it. On the cuff, trying not to, yeah. and they actually did put the helicopter in the wall once, uh, and they were amazing. By the way, I mean th- this was you know it was unfortunate, but they they couldn't get, you know you, you can't see your depth with those, and they yeah. and, and it couldn't tell the 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 uh, the uh, it was like a I think it was a hexacopter couldn't tell it where it was, but it was all fine. We did another take. It was beautiful in the movie. It is amazing, and you couldn't have got that shot without that piece of equipment. Yes, you couldn't have done it. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where you know, I think they can be a little overused mm-hmm. um, because they're so accessible and because they look cool. Right. But in the, if you can use it effectively to tell your story, that's when I start to get the goosebumps. And I, and I don't even think, oh, that's a drone shot because it's in service to the story. Yes, definitely. And I think it always should, should serve the story. Yeah. You know, because you can definitely just use a drone shot or any kind of fancy shot just because you have the stuff to make it fancy and it is like weird. Yeah. It doesn't abs- make sense. No, it doesn't. You're yeah. forcing a round peg in a square yeah. hole. It's that's that's any toy though. Yeah, just save your fancy shots, put them on Instagram and be like, "Look, I shot this fancy shot." Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I have a whole th- I'm like very anti-fancy um uh even though it's cool. Yeah. Um you know, you asked for some tips and tricks. Um one of my biggest tips is put the money in your department in mm-hmm. in your in the crew and not in the toys. So like, you know, anytime you're given a budget, at least at my level, um, you're, you're kind of have numbers and then you have to make these numbers work. So you prioritize. It's the first thing I do. Um, so the big priorities for me are always going to be what camera I'm shooting on. And if I can get in lenses, those are, those Mm -hmm. are always a priority for me. Um, and then it's crew pretty much right after that is what, how many guys can I get? You know, what, what, Excuse me. What level of guys can I get? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can I get my guys on this? Right. Um, and then it's like, okay, I know we have like, you know, seven jib shots and you know a couple drone shots. This, this, and that. Okay, now how do we afford these other things? Mm-hmm. I think people put so much emphasis on the toy that they don't consider the other stuff because there's so many ways to skin a cat. But for me, the your support system, which is my crew, is everything. So making sure they're happy, they're treated well, yes. um, and, and, and productions are usually great about this. Um, but just making sure that they're they're committed and they feel like their opinion is important and their contribution is important makes you a better filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I mean, managing your departments is crucial. And the good news about it is, whatever questions you ask someone, like "What do you think of this?" you know, they'll give you their honest opinion, and it's up to you to either take it or leave it. In a very nice way, either way, mm-hmm. but you get to take credit for it as a DP. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, my my first AC, Matt Borak, is is I love him to death, and he's the first person I'll you know I'll be like, what do you think of this? And he'll give me his opinion, and it's really nice to have that support system because you only make a movie with support. It takes yes. a village to make a movie. Yes, it's a big collaborative art project. Huge, and you have to work with people. So like gadgets are there, but the people have to run the gadgets absolutely you have to keep them happy so what kind of uh, advice do you have for people who are wanting to get into this 
um, you know, you just you got to shoot. Just mm-hmm. uh, have as <laughs> have as few responsibilities and commitments in life as possible. So try not to have kids or a mortgage <laughs> or car payments. Or, well, you have to have a car in LA. Um, but uh, work for free. Get out there. Um, find people you like. You think they're good filmmakers and. If it's right, be friends with them. I mean, you at the end of the day, you want to make movies with people you like and your friends. You mm-hmm. do. You want to be able to hire your friends on stuff. That's how these crews run for so long is they actually like each other. Yeah. Because there's a lot of talented people out there. So, you know, getting in with people that you think are talented is really important. Um, you know, find good material if you can. Write good material if you can. Beg, borrow, and steal for gear. You know, no... You know, film school is great. It's not for everyone. I went to film school. It was great for me, and and it, it made me who I am. But that's not for everyone, right? Um, so my advice is just get out there, work for free, uh, get on sets as a, as a first AC or a second AC, and get right behind that camera and see how they lit. Study, study, study. We have the most amazing library of material every movie you've ever seen mm-hmm. uh is is your library so go out and study the greats um be inspired be enthusiastic nothing great is ever done without enthusiasm yes that's for sure uh, and three films that inspire you that kids at home should watch oh jeez kids at home well, you are all adults also probably so i'll just <laughs> i'll just try and think of the first three that come to my yeah. mind but doesn't uh, have to be top 3 just Three that three, three that you're into. Three that I'm into. No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Coen Brothers movie, which Roger Deakins shot, is an amazing movie from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, you can look at anything Roger Deakins does. And, like. Yeah, he he's incredible. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, you know, Rodrigo Prieto shot a movie called Beautiful, mm-hmm. which was he did with Inuritu, uh, I think like two films before Birdman, and then they did no, they didn't do the. I'm sorry. Well, no. Uh, uh, Someone else did uh, those moves. Sorry, it was uh, Emmanuel uh, Lubetsky did those. But uh, Rodrigo Pereira is an amazing cinematographer, and Beautiful is an amazing movie. Um, and then a third one, oh, man. Um, you know, I actually really enjoyed The Guardians of the Galaxies. Yeah. I mean, I think just popcorn movies are great, you know. I think knowing what kind of cinematographer you want to be is really important. And mm-hmm. part of that is knowing what movies you love. I just saw Die Hard like last week because yeah. I was like watching my kids and like I'm like, well, I can watch half of it now and I'll watch half of it in a couple days. And that movie is so good and the script is amazing. And that like it makes my it makes me passionate about what I want to do seeing movies like this. So if you find those movies Maybe those are the kind of movies you want to make, you yeah. know? So try and get into those. You yeah. Know? I'm due for a Die Hard rewatch. It is the best Christmas movie ever yes. made. It is. It really is. <laughs> it was like definitely a few Christmases ago as I watched that, and it's it's time. Yeah. It's time to see it again. Thank you so much for joining me oh, today. Thanks for having so me. many good insights. Tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Oh, so um, my website is www.awrusso.com. Uh, it has all my contact information as well as my agent if uh, you want to work with me. Um, if uh, and it has it has all my contact information there, so you can find me there. Very nice, very nice. And then you can see Jackals now. That's available on demand and on demand and iTunes, iTunes, Amazon Video. Yep. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think it's still in theaters in select cities, the 12 cities out yes. there. But go see it any way you want. And then you've got lots of cool things coming up. What are a few of those projects? Uh, Nightmare Cinema is going to be coming up, uh, hopefully at the beginning of the year. And uh, Gone are the Days is the Western that I'm really excited about with Tom Berenger, Lance Hendrickson, and Danny Trejo. Awesome. So be fun. Thank you for joining me. And thank you guys for watching. I am Mary Lou Mandel. You can find me all over the internet at Mary Lou Mandel. And I will see you next time on On the Fly Filmmaking. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.